How's it going, folks? Welcome into another episode of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. Before I started this episode, I just wanted to hit you guys with a couple quick reminders, the first being that we are now on YouTube. That is right. You can listen to every episode of the Student Section Podcast live on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is at Student Section Sports, or you can just click the link in any of the bios of our socials, websites, you name it, and you can get sent directly to the YouTube channel. The second of all, you guys already knew this, but you can find written content, written analysis, and breakdowns of every single team in college basketball live at thestudentsection.net where we write about all things college sports. You can find all kinds of analysis beyond your wildest dreams there. We are breaking down every team in the NCAA tournament still remaining. We just posted a Final Four preparation breakdown, viewing guides, this, that, what to watch for. So if you want to enhance your Final Four viewing experience, I largely suggest you go over there. So Without further ado, we've got a jam-packed episode ahead. We are talking all things men's and women's Final Four, as well as WUCA, looking forward, excuse me, to the off-season ahead. So, if you're into all that, be sure to stick around. We're going to talk some ball today. Let's have an episode, folks. Let's do it. Welcome inside the next edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports from an in-depth analytical standpoint. So, this is episode number 18, Friday, March the 31st, 2023. Always remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at Student Section Pod, or you can find us online at thestudentsection.net. Subscribe to the show. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all your favorite platforms. And remember to download the show Rate the show, share it with your friends, helps us out quite a bit. So, might be the busiest weekend of this podcast since the college football playoff went down back in December. We have the men's Final Four. We have the women's Final Four. We have the second weekend to recap that we didn't get to talk about earlier this week. We have so much to go through on this episode. We're even going to look forward um, into the transfer portal, talk about some of the transfers I like that might still be on the market, rate some transfer moves. So... I'm not going to waste too much time in the intro here. We have a jam-packed episode of the show ahead. And without further ado, we are going to jump in to a recap of the second weekend of the tournament. Let's do it. All right, folks, second weekend is in the rear view. And in just two short weeks, we have now efficiently whittled down a field bursting at the seams with 68 teams down to just four battle-hardened and exhausted contenders. The Final Four is officially set and our four unlikely regional champs are headed for Houston, Texas, and we're obviously going to spend a majority of this episode giving a preview on that, but I wanted to take a look at the previous weekend before we do that. So we're going to jump into our storylines and takeaways from the second weekend. We're going to hit weekly awards. So let's start off with my three biggest storylines. And the first of which is not going to be a direct tournament storyline, but it's going to be an overarching postseason storyline. And that's the CUSA, one shining conference, as I like to call it, to absolutely 
Nobody's surprised the winningest conference in March Madness this year is Conference USA. CUSA has gone on this absolute tear uh, throughout postseason play. Got a 17-2 uh, record across the NIT, CBI, and NCAA tournament. And Charlotte was able to win the CBI after closing out the regular season on a three-game skid. Um, Bryce Williams, Ali Khalifa, both phenomenal players. Then you switch to Vegas, where North Texas and UAB faced off in the NIT title game. The Mean Green able to take that one. What a game that was. Tyler Perry going off for the game winner. So much talent in this in this CUSA. There's a lot of offense. It's a fast-paced league, and these teams made matchup nightmares for any team that they came across in postseason play. Then you obviously move on to the NCAA tournament, where the miracle run of Dusty May and Florida Atlantic needs absolutely no introduction. The Owls, one of three schools making their first ever appearance in the Final Four this year. And I want to take you back a little bit. So Ken Palm ranked the CUSA 10th of 32 conferences in overall efficiency, which, I, you know, I think is fair. And then you come into postseason play, and they completely blow things up. So what is it about this conference that really, I don't want to say makes them that much better than teams, but creates this this mismatch, this nightmare. And like I said, I really think it is the tempo of these CUSA teams. You know, you take a look at the conference as a whole, and they've got one, two, three, four, five teams in the top 100 for overall tempo, that being UAB, Florida Atlantic, Western, or not Western Kentucky, uh, Rice, FIU, UTSA. All these teams play at such a fast pace, and, you know, a lot of these power conference teams just aren't used to it. So that's what I've got on CUSA. I want to move on to my next storyline, and that is UConn's unprecedented run of dominance. This UConn team that we revered in the middle of the season, remember everyone was picking them as their national title favorite back near uh, out-of-conference play. That team appears to be back. The Huskies have beaten their four NCAA tournament opponents by a combined 98 points, good for the second-largest margin in tournament history entering the Final Four. The Huskies boast five of the 11 most efficient players in my scoring efficiency index among Final Four teams, and while leading all tournament teams in points per possession at 1.28 as well, that is an absolutely ridiculous number. They are first by a wide margin. You know, UConn has won 10 of their last 11. Eight of those wins come by double digits. The Huskies have managed to fill any holes that Marquette might have exposed in that Big East tournament game where that was the last time we really saw UConn look beatable because they now lead the NCAA tournament in assist rate, rebounding percentage, effective field goal percentage, defensive uh, defensive efficiency through four games, and they are on an absolutely torrid pace to win the title. Their ability to play defense, you down low with Sonogo and Klingon. They don't foul Newton, Hawkins, Jackson out on the perimeter. Then they bring in the freshman caravan and guys like Calcaterra to hit big shots down the stretch. I mean, it has been so incredible to watch this team kind of grow and mature over the course of the season. It's what I thought I was seeing with Marquette heading into the NCAA tournament. But UConn has been that team. You know, the conference champion curse lives on, and that's going to bring me to my next kind of uh, storyline here, and that's the the four unlikely finalists. The seeding combination of four, five, five, and nine has produced the second highest seeded final four in history, highest in this decade, dating back to 2013, obviously, and the sense of unpredictability in the air 
is real, and it's what makes this tournament so special. And now we're going to kind of jump in to our Final Four preview segment of this game. And the first game we're going to talk about is the Miami-Connecticut game, because there's a lot to break down here. You know, UConn now up to first in the Ken Palm and the net rankings. Everywhere you get your rankings from, this team is number one. 29-8, an efficiency margin at 28.95. Just ridiculous. They have, you know, like I just said, completely turned it on up to another level in March Madness. And it shows, because you look at their overall efficiency, like I said, all those guys in the top 15, just absurd. But then you look at uh, Miami here, and Miami's really perhaps one of the only teams in this tournament with the firepower to keep up with the Yukons of the world. Like guys like Omir, Wong, Miller, Pack. That backcourt, if any team's going to do it, that backcourt certainly has the speed and athleticism to match that of UConn. Now, it's going to be an interesting matchup down low with Sonogo and Klingon against guys like Omir. Jordan Miller's going to have to help out on a lot of different sets, but it's going to be very interesting to see how they defend down low. Jim Lar- uh, Laranega and company might have to go to a zone certain parts of this game. You know, they kind of flash that high 2-3 in parts of games where they were undersized, packing the paint against teams like Texas, who utilize uh, Dylan DeSue and Timmy Allen. Worked out phenomenally in the second half, but one thing's for sure, and it's that that backcourt can definitely, definitely keep up with that of UConn. It's going to be a high-scoring, I shouldn't say high-scoring, but high-shooting game. You know, you're going to see a lot of contested looks from the outside uh, from teams like Miami against UConn. It's just their formula, and if the shots are falling for Pack and Wong, they're able to efficiently thread the needle, I think, They've got just as good a shot as anyone against this UConn team. Now, like I said, where UConn can expose them is the paint. Obviously, their two most efficient offensive players being Sonago and Klingon in this tournament. That's going to be a one-two punch. If UConn goes big against Miami, I don't know how they're going to be able to defend it in any kind of man-to-man or out-of-position zone scenario. Sonogo has been an absolute beast in the NCAA tournament, the highest-rated offensive player in the dance thus far that's not going to come as a surprise to many people but you know if I'm UConn I don't want to go away from my identity but if Miami somehow manages to get into a rock fight with you and play the game on their terms I'm looking at guys like Tristan Newton and Jordan Hawkins because the the threes are going to need to be falling if Miami does indeed manage to neutralize your bread and butter like they were able to do in that second half against Texas. The more versatile team, the more deep team, in my opinion, is going to be the team that comes out with this one. You're going to have to showcase a lot of depth. You're going to have to showcase a lot of grit, and you're going to have to lean on your shot makers more than ever. And it's going to be very interesting for a team like UConn who likes to pressure the ball a lot, likes to trap up high sometime, a lot of the times with momentum. It's going to be very interesting to see if they do that against an athletic backcourt like Pack and Wong, who are able to, you know, beat teams off the dribble, get to the hoop, and seemingly it will, and use that athleticism and speed up high to beat teams. It's going to be very interesting to see if UConn sticks to that identity. It worked very well against teams like Gonzaga, who struggled with their primary ball handlers, but Miami is a different animal when it comes to that part of the game with their ball handling. So it's going to be very, very interesting. If my if um, UConn comes out like that, it's going to be very interesting to see if UConn can, or Miami, excuse me, can exploit that. But 
Otherwise, in this game, I think one of the unsung heroes for Miami, when you look up and down this roster, is Jordan Miller. And I think, you know, that, that Elite Eight game against Texas was his his coming out party of sorts. But this guy has been one of the best college ba- or most efficient players in college basketball all season long. Uh, top 20 nationally in overall offensive rating. He's top 100 in true shooting percentage at 62. 59 effective field goal percentage. You go up and down the roster, this guy is the definition of efficiency. And like I said, I think a lot of people weren't aware to what he's been doing until that game against Texas, which is very odd, but, you know, I let the number speak for himself. 15-6-3 and three a game on 55% shooting. Unreal statistics for him thus far. He shot 56-71 and 100% in his last three NCAA tournament games, dropping 27-13 and 19. You need a big bucket down the stretch. I think as tempting as it's going to be to lean on Pack and Wong, Jordan Miller is going to be the unsung hero of this game if it is indeed a Miami win. One guy I would definitely look out for down the stretch. His name might not come up as often as the big guys, but rest assured he is going to be a massive help on both the offensive and defensive end for this team at 6-7. That's all I've got for game number one, Miami and UConn. Before we get into game number two, we are going to jump in to our weekly awards because I kind of completely forgot. So team of the week, we're going to run through this rather quickly here so we can talk final four. Team of the week is the San Diego State Aztecs. As tempting as it was to go UConn in back-to-back weeks, the defense of San Diego State reigned supreme once again. Just phenomenal performance after phenomenal performance in this NCAA tournament. I know a lot of people are going to be a bit bitter about the, the, the call in that game. I'm kind of 50-50 on it because while I think it was a foul, I don't know if, if that's the situation uh, where you can call it, but... Called a foul nonetheless. I wasn't too mad at it. But San Diego State has been on an absolute defensive tear in this tournament, giving up 57, 52, 64, and 56 points, almost at the lowest average points per possession on defense in the NCAA tournament history. Just an absolutely torrid pace for them. Brian Dutcher, one of my favorite coaches in the game, one of the architects of my favorite team, the Fab Five. Let's move on now. Player of the Week, Jordan Hawkins of UConn, who is... I don't want to say out, but he is questionable for the Final Four. Did not practice this week. He's been at the hotel all week with a non-COVID-related illness, but he's my player of the week from last week against Gonzaga, going 6 of 10 from deep. You know, he netted nine threes across the two regional games, dropped 20 and 24, respectively, shot 43% from the field in those two games. He was absolutely on fire. A knockdown shooter, and at 6'5", 195, he is going to get a lot of heads turned in the NBA for a performance like that. That was a very special two-game stretch from Jordan Hawkins, and I'm also going to double down on this real quick and do a second player of the week because it's got to be Caitlin Clark, who just carried Iowa into the national title game, beating South Carolina, their first loss since March 6th of 2022. Caitlin Clark is something else, man. Like I said on the baseline the other day, she is putting women's basketball on the map right now. Against Louisville back in the Elite Eight, five-seeded Louisville, uh, Iowa wins 97-83. She drops the first 40-point triple-double in the history of college basketball while shooting 58%. That's men's or women's college basketball. She dropped 41-10-2 along with three steals in that one. 
Next up, you move on to the biggest game of the year, South Carolina. The final four, 30, uh, 36-0, I believe they were. And they go out and win it 77-73. Caitlin Clark, once again, 41 points, 6 assists, 8 rebounds, or 6 rebounds, 8 assists. Got a steal in that one. Just incredible performances. I mean, you can't say enough about what she's doing for the sport right now. So she is my second player of the week alongside Jordan Hawkins. So performance of the week, it's going to have to go, despite it being a losing effort, to Marquise Noel of Kansas State. He had a special special regional in his hometown of New York. I mean, those two games, obviously the Michigan State game where they win in overtime, he drops 20 points, 19 assists, and then he goes out and scores it in the game against FAU where they end up losing by three, 30 and 12 in that one. I mean, this is like I said on the last episode, this is one of the guys that can just make passing a basketball look pretty fun, and that's very rare in this era of basketball, but Marquise Noel has been the story. Absolutely love uh, what he's been doing. So that's my performance of the week, Marquise Noel in that regional. Moving on to Coach of the Week and Mid-Major of the Week. We're going to kind of double up here. That's going to be Dusty May and Florida Atlantic. The Owls, once again, the pride of CUSA, currently atop the nation in terms of win streak at 11. Ever since showing up at the tournament, they have been an absolute wagon You know, they beat Memphis 66-65. I had Memphis going to the Elite Eight in my bracket. And, you know, I was so turned on this game because I said the winner of this game was going to have themselves a heck of a tournament. And rest assured, they did. They beat Memphis. They go out and beat the team that beat Purdue. They beat Fairleigh Dickinson by eight. Then they beat Tennessee, who had just come off beating Duke by seven. And then they beat Kansas State, who had just come off one of the best games in recent memory against Michigan State. So their road to get here has been a lot tougher than people think. And, you know, the duo of John L. Davis and Elijah Martin in the backcourt, combining so well with Vlad Goldine in the front court. the 7-1 sophomore has been an absolute force in the NCAA tournament. Rebounding machine, let me tell you. But this has been one of the more fun teams to watch. And, you know, you got to give it to Dusty May, Coach of the Week as well, for what he's been able to do turning this program around. Considered it career suicide when he was hired there, but wow. What a turnaround. And that is going to carry us in to our analysis of the next Final Four game between San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. One thing you know I'm excited about is we are guaranteed a mid-major team to play for the national championship in Houston on Monday night, which I am absolutely ecstatic over the moon about. And I'm going to give San Diego State right off the bat the slight edge in this one. And I'm going to give them the edge for the same reason that I gave them the edge over teams like Charleston in the first round, teams like Alabama back in the regionals. And that's just the fact that they shut down what you're best at. You know, teams like Charleston, Alabama shoot the three at an incredibly high rate, and FAU is of the same cloth. They shoot threes on 44% of their total field goal attempts. That's 30th in the country. And what does San Diego State do best? They shut down three-point shooting. Team shoot just over 27% from deep against them. The second best mark in the country with a D1 average being all the way up at 34. The way this team just shuts down what you're best at is incredible. You know, they limit your assists. They don't let you get comfortable on the perimeter. Their ball pressure is insane. That matchup zone is just so, so, so fun to watch. Guys like Matt Bradley... Uh, Lamont Butler, and especially down low Nathan Mensah. Watching those guys 
mature over the course of this NCAA tournament into real NBA caliber players has just been so, so, so much fun to watch. This team, and like I said, Brian Dutcher, obviously one of my favorite coaches with his role in putting together one of my favorite teams in the Fab Five, but man, oh man, do I love this San Diego State team. Jadon Lee, the 6'9 senior, you know, appeared in all 36 games this year, top 100 in offensive rating. He rebounds the ball at an elite rate, too. They don't have the biggest of guys. You know, you look at Mensa 6'10", okay, Jadon Lee 6'9". They don't have that big 7-footer, but their mastery of positioning, their master mastery of weight, their mastery of footwork down low is what enables them to absolutely kill teams down low and just completely dominate them physically. And like I said, the ball pressure of guys like Matt Bradley, Lamont Butler, uh, Trammell as well at times, who's, who's started 35 games as well. It's just it's just incredible to watch. I think defense wins championships, so I'm going to stick with San Diego State going up against UConn in the championship, and we will be, we'll definitely be back to give our predictions on that. So with that being said, folks, you have listened to another edition of the Student Section Podcast where we talk all things college sports from an in-depth analytical standpoint. It has been an absolute blast. Remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Instagram at studentsectionpod or online at thestudentsection.net. Always remember to rate, review, Share the podcast with your friends. Helps us out a ton. Subscribe to us on YouTube where we upload all kinds of good analytical content and every episode of this podcast. And whether you are on the couch or in the bleachers this weekend, folks, be sure to enjoy the games. It's going to be a blast. Happy Final Four weekend.